Amen. To the first Peter, first Peter, chapter three, first Peter three, verses eighteen through fifteen uh, is our text today. Again, first Peter, chapter three, verses eight through fifteen is our text. We're now in part five of this series. It's all his. Say it's all his. Now remember, though God owns you, and though he owns all you possess, I love this, he defers the management to you. How awesome is that? Yeah, he's a gracious God. Say that. He's a gracious God. Now, again, he's the master. We're the managers, right? He's the owner, and we are the stewards. Definition of stewardship, we all should know this by now. It's on your outline. It's on the screen. It's say together with great enthusiasm. It's the practice, come on, of managing properly all that God has entrusted to me. And again, the key verse in this series, 1 Corinthians 4, 2. Now it's required that those of you who have been given a trust, a trust, must prove faithful. Say faithful. Again, you know this, right? The word trust there encompasses all the resources and abilities and opportunities given, us, given to us by God and that we manage those resources, abilities, and opportunities in a way that is spiritually wise and profitable. So, so far in this series, we have focused on our treasures, say treasures, uh, speaking of, of, of the importance of giving and tithing and uh, being good stewards of our finances. And then we focus on our time, say time, uh, how we have a spiritual responsibility, how we uh, use and manage our time, how we use and manage the most precious commodity that God has given us. And last Sunday, our focus was on our talents, say talents. Okay, serving and, and using our gifts and talents and abilities to strengthen the body of Christ and to advance uh, his kingdom, God's kingdom. And by the way, I was totally blessed by the response on Sunday. And, and thanks to those of you who signed up to serve. And so uh, follow, follow through with your commitment and get busy for God's kingdom. Yeah? Today's focus is going to be on our testimony. Say testimony. Uh, being good witnesses. Being a good witness. Uh, living out our faith and, and sharing our faith to the lost. The title of my message today is A Steward of My Testimony. Everyone say that. Now listen, my, my, tes my testimony, in other words, how I live, how I live is something of which God expects me uh, to be a steward. He expects me to be a steward. Listen, every single Christian, if you're saved, say Amen. Every single Christian is called to live like Jesus. John 20, verse 21. Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. So, so how was Jesus sent? Well, he was sent on a redemptive mission by the Father. Luke 19, 10 says this. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Luke 19, 10. Now, if you're saved, say Amen. We now, we're saved, we, if we said amen, we now have something that this lost world needs. We have the answer to the abundant life. We, we have the answer to a life with purpose. We have the answer to eternal life. We have the gift, say the gift, the gift of salvation. And friends, therefore, it's our responsibility how we represent this gift how we represent Jesus Christ, how we represent the Christian life. It is our responsibility as Christians to share the good news of salvation to the lost. Now, now think about it. 
Where would you be today if someone hadn't considered his or hers testimony to be a gift worth giving? Huh? And we can all trace our spiritual beginnings to a person's testimony of Jesus' grace, yeah? Right? Okay, it was that person's life, their authenticity, living testimony that touched our lives. Now, now your testimony doesn't have to be dramatic, okay? It doesn't have to be dramatic. Uh, Giving your testimony means living it under the eye of a friend or a family member or a stranger or a co-worker. It means responding, say responding, in love with a listening ear or an act of kindness. That's what it means. The bottom line is this. God will bless your willingness. He will bless your willingness to be a steward of his good news. And I love the fact that God can use ordinary you, right? Say amen to that. God can use ordinary you to win someone to him. Now, I believe that most of us have read books and have heard great things about Martin Luther and about D.L. Moody and about Billy Graham, but we don't know much about the individuals who had uh, won them to Jesus Christ. And why, why is that? Because they were ordinary. Say ordinary. They were ordinary Christians who had a passion for Jesus and a compassion for the lost. Uh, they were ordinary people just like you. And just like me. Now, if you're saved, listen now, sharing Jesus should be a natural expression of walking with him. I'm going to say it again, okay? Sharing Jesus, if you're saved, sharing Jesus should be a natural expression of walking with him. In other words, your witness, listen now, should flow out of a daily life-changing relationship with him. Now you're safe, say amen. And I, say, I need to say this. If you have no passion for Jesus, if you have no compassion for the lost, no desire in your heart whatsoever to share the gospel with someone, then you really, really need to stop and examine yourself to see if you're really saved. 2 Corinthians 13, 5 Paul writes this, he says, examine yourselves, okay? Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Say, test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you unless, of course, you fail the test? Right now, what I want you to do is I want you to examine yourself. I want you to just, just, to, just quietly within your heart, I want you to do a healthy examination of yourself and then ask yourself, do I have a testimony of having had a life-changing encounter with Jesus Christ? You need to ask yourself, is my life, get this now, is my life different? Is it different now that I know Jesus? Now, if you pass the test, then you must understand that as a Christian, As a Christian, you have a tremendous responsibility to be a steward of your testimony. Listen, church, people need Jesus. People all around us need Jesus. Yeah? Our community needs Jesus. Our city needs Jesus. Our state needs Jesus. Our nation needs Jesus. Our world needs Jesus. People need Jesus. They need Jesus. Now, before we get into our text, I want to explain to you what what was going on at this time. 
And, and the Christians were being persecuted and, and, and hassled for their faith. And Peter is writing to them. And he's writing to them, encouraging them, listen now, not to give up. Don't give up, he says. And you see, the wicked were prospering while the believers were suffering. And I want to tell you, no greater way to show the wicked, in other words, slash non-believers, that Jesus Christ is real than in times of suffering. It was a great opportunity for the believers to steward, say steward, their testimony. I want to share three points with you from our text. If you're ready, say yes. Here we go. Here we go. Very practical. Here we go. Number one is this. Live differently. Say that. Live differently. And we're going to look at verses 8 through 12 of the text today. But before we read that, you'll notice as we go through it, you'll notice that Peter emphasizes some of the qualities that are vital, not optional, but vital, say vital, for the Christian life. Qualities, listen now, that separate the believer from the non-believer. So let's read verses 8 through 12. Finally, all of you live in harmony with one another. In other words, be like-minded. Be sympathetic. Love as brothers. Be compassionate and humble. Verse 9. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing, because to this you were called, so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. Verse 11. He must turn from evil and do good. Say, do good. He must seek peace and what? Pursue it. Verse 12. For the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, and his ears are attended to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So Peter is saying, we are, as believers, we are to be people of unity, right? Sympathetic, people who love, people who are compassionate, in other words, tender-hearted, uh, people who are humble, not proud people. Uh, how about this one? People who do not repay evil with evil and insult with insult, but with a blessing. Huh. Question, what is your initial reaction when someone does you wrong, when someone disses you, when someone speaks evil of you, when someone insults you? What is your initial reaction? Because the world says, the world says, get back at them. The world says get even. The world says cast an insult to them, hate them, wish, wish them harm. That's what the world says. Well, let's see what Jesus says. And I want you to write these scriptures down. Matthew 5, verses 43 through 44. And Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. In Luke chapter 6, verses 27 through 28, Jesus says, But I tell you who hear me, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless, say bless, those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. Wow. And notice what Paul writes in Romans 12, 17. He writes, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. He says, Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. Now notice that in that list, okay, the list that Peter wrote in our text, a quality for the Christian life is controlling the tongue, right? In other words, one, one who's not a gossiper, one who is a, a truth teller. Another quality is one who, who turns from evil and does good. And finally, one who, who's a peacemaker, not a troublemaker. 
one who is active in, in making things right. And Peter says he must seek peace and pursue it. And, and I love what, what Paul writes in Romans 12, 18. He writes this, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, okay, on me, live at peace with everyone. So seeing that list of qualities is clear that we need to be different. Yeah? It's right there, different, right? And not just in words, but also in, in deeds. In other words, you act like you love, act like you love God, friends, and live like you love him and know him. In other words, be audiovisual. Don't just tell them, don't just tell those around you who are lost, don't just tell them, okay, that you, that you love Jesus, but show them through a godly lifestyle. I love what Titus, in, in Titus 2.10, what it says, Titus 2.10, show you can be fully trusted so that in every way you will make the teachings about God attractive. Huh. Listen, church, God wants your lifestyle, in other words, how you live, to be attractive. He wants you to live in a way that attracts people to himself. So question, that being said, question, does your lifestyle, the way that you live, does your lifestyle attract anybody to Jesus? And if not, friends, then maybe you better check out your lifestyle because the true fact of the matter is this. Depending on your lifestyle, you'll either be a stepping stone or a stumbling block. You'll either draw people to Jesus or draw them away from Jesus. Now, if you're saved, say amen. I want to tell you this. How you live, Christians, listen now, how you live is influencing far more people than you realize. They're watching you. They're watching me. By the way, I want to give you a great definition of a Christian. Okay, Christian is a life who makes it easier, easier to believe in Jesus Christ. Christian is a life who makes it easier to believe in Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to follow me here. One of four things Christians do. Okay, first one is isolate. Say that. They isolate themselves from the world. Okay, all right? They isolate themselves from the world. Now, friends, we are in the world, right? But we're not to be of the world. But nonetheless, we're in the world. But there's some believers who isolate themselves from the world. I don't want any part of them. Okay? These sinners, that's their job description. That's what they're called sinners. Okay? Right? And we're saved sinners, right? Okay? But listen now, we're in the world, but not of the world. But some Christians isolate themselves, want nothing to do with it. Okay? Another thing that Christians do is, is vegetate. Okay? They do nothing, do nothing, do nothing, okay, with their witness. They just sit there and vegetate. Isolate, vegetate. Another thing is they do is they imitate. In other words, they act like the world. Okay? They engage in worldly things. So they isolate, vegetate, imitate. And the last one is this, permeate. Say permeate. These are the Christians who permeate the world with a godly lifestyle. They're salt and light to those around them. Okay? In other words, they're different. They're different. They follow Jesus in word and deed. They don't act like the world. They don't look like the world. They don't walk like the world. They don't think like the world. They're different. They follow Jesus in word and in deed. And I love what 2 Peter 3, 11b says. What kind of people ought you to be? And he responds with this. You ought to live holy and godly lives. Holy and godly lives. Now, now what is different about a Christian that people should see every day. Well, I want you to write this down, Galatians 
5, 22 through 24 or 23. Okay? But the fruit of the Spirit, in other words, the manifestations of the Spirit, is love, say love. Joy, say joy. Peace, say peace. Patience, say patience. Kindness, say kindness. Goodness, say goodness. Faithfulness, say faithfulness. Gentleness, say gentleness. And self-control, say self-control. And then he says, against such things there is no law. In other words, no law can produce that kind of fruit. The Christian life must be different to be attractive. So, that being said, is your life different? Are you a good steward of your testimony? Question, is anyone around you wanting to become like you? Huh. Now, now if we're different, and we should be different, right? If we're different, then we should delight in doing good. Write that down. Say, delight in doing good. Just write that down. Say, say, delight in doing good. Okay, now, now look at verse 13 to support that. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? Eager, in other words, that word zealous there, to do good, to do what is right, speaks of passionate commitment to do good, to do good, okay? Not just to agree to do good, okay, but to do it. It means we are eager, zealots for truth and righteousness. In other words, we are, I don't know if this is great proper grammar, but we are do-gooders. Say do-gooders. Got it? Now, now follow me here. This verse, verse 13 okay, is a continuation of the idea of what Peter quoted in verses 8 through 12. Got it? In other words, if you live in harmony, if you're sympathetic, loving, if you're compassionate, if you're humble, if you don't repay evil with evil or insult with insult, if you keep your tongue from evil and your lips from deceitful speech, okay, if you turn from evil and do good, if you seek peace and pursue it, if you do all those things, Peter's saying, who's going to harm you? Who's going to bother you if you live like that? And the implied answer is probably nobody. Probably nobody. Okay, usually you won't suffer if you do good to others. Even the greatest uh, opponents of the gospel are not going to harm you for being good to others. Right? So, so as Christians, if you, if you follow these things that Peter outlined, in other words, these wonderful characteristics of a believer, living that way is going to bring peace with those around you, and you're probably not going to get hassled because you're seeking to do good. Now, please understand what this verse is not saying. This verse is not saying that Christians will be free from pain or suffering. If you got it, say got it. And I want to tell you, God never, God in his word never promises us immunity from difficulty or suffering. In fact, in fact, in, back in chapter 1 of 1 Peter, verses 6 through 7, in chapter 2 of 1 Peter, verses 18 through 20, Peter already made it clear that we're going to face times of suffering. It's going to happen. And then he writes more about suffering in chapter 4, verses 12 through 13, and chapter 5, verses 8 through 10. Now, friends, listen now. Living according Okay, to God's word, it keeps us from much unnecessary suffering, but it's, not, it's, it's no guarantee. Say no guarantee. Okay, we'll be spared from all suffering. Follow me. Living by God's word is something like I call defensive driving. It doesn't keep us from having an accident, but it keeps us from many accidents. Got it? Listen, having established a good life as a norm 
Peter addresses suffering. And though he says that Christians should always respond to evil with good, he also lived in the real world. He did in the real world and knew that people often repaid good with a response of evil. Okay? So if, if we're different, and we should be, right? If we're different, we should delight in doing good. Say delight in doing good. But if we're different, we should also determine to do good. Not just delight in doing good, but determine to do good. That's verse 14a. Look at verse 14a. But even if you should suffer for what is what? Right. Peter's saying goodness is good, righteousness is right, but being good and righteous will not make you immune from suffering and from trouble. And by the way, I got to say this. The world is watching us to see how we act in times of suffering. If you say you're born again, a Christian, and you're going through suffering times, hard times, the world is looking at you to see how you respond to that. Are you with me? Verse 14b. Well, not yet. Hold on. Hold on. Okay. Hold on. Okay. Because I, I want to remind you that, 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 that as Christians, we're going to face harm. We're going to face suffering, even though we attempt to live at peace with our enemies, right? We believe that, right? But, but, but don't get all bent out of shape, okay? That happens. Don't get bent out of shape. Don't give up. Cheer up. Why? Because verse 14, look at B, you are blessed. Isn't that awesome? Say, say I'm blessed. Okay. Notice what he says, but even if you should suffer for what is right, you're blessed. How cool is that? And what Peter does, Peter reminds us that there is even a blessing, a blessing for us when we suffer for righteousness' sake. Okay. In fact, friends, this, this statement receives further support and clarification in chapter 4 of 1 Peter 12 through 16. I'm going to read it to you. It says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice, say rejoice, inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed, say overjoyed, when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. Did you get that? For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Write this down, Matthew 5, verses 10 through 11. Or 10 through 12, shall I say. Write down 12. I didn't put down 12, but it should be there. 10 through 12. Blessed, say blessed. Come on, say blessed. Are those who are, listen, persecute, who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed, say blessed. Are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me? Verse 12. Rejoice and be glad. Say rejoice. Come on, say be glad. Because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So be blessed. Be blessed. Amen. Verse 14c. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be afraid. In other words, don't be afraid when they try to intimidate you. Okay, don't fret, don't fear, and don't forget that God is with you. He's with you. And now get this, I want you to get this. The, the presence of suffering for doing good shouldn't make us shrink back from doing good. Okay? And you see, Peter was concerned, is concerned that when things get tough, we might be tempted to be silent or to take the edge off our witness. And, and, and friends, who would understand this better than Peter, right? Because in Matthew 26, 69 through 75 tells us that Peter, what, under pressure, what did he do? What did he do? He denied being associated with Jesus. Remember that? And this is why Peter writes 
that times of persecution okay, are opportunities for bearing witness to Jesus Christ. Okay, that these are the times we dare not be intimidated, so we deny Jesus. These are not times that we remain silent or dilute the gospel in times of suffering. The bottom line is this. If we're going to be stewards of our testimony, if we are, we need to commit to doing good. We need to commit to doing what is right, even when it's not popular, even when it's difficult. Yeah? And this is the kind of testimony that will be used of God to change the hearts of those who are lost. So live differently. If you call yourself a believer, if you call yourself heaven-bound, born again, changed by the grace of Jesus Christ, by the blood of Christ, if you call yourself a believer, you need to be different. You shouldn't live like the world. You should be different from the world. Live differently. Say that. Number two is this. Here we go. Be ready. Be ready. Look at verse 15a with me. But in your hearts set apart, in other words, revere Christ as Lord. In other words, in other words, in other words, before you go out and face the world every day, before you do that, okay, make sure that you're inwardly in the right spot. Inwardly in the right spot. In other words, you're loyal to him. You love him. You, you affirm your commitment to him, okay? You know that you believe in him, that you also belong to him, that he's number one in your life and that he is lifted up above everything else and that he's not just savior of your life, but he's also Lord of your life. That you are, listen now, committed to his lordship, okay? You better have that firmly in grasp before you meet the unbelieving world. That's what Peter's saying. The text, Christ is Lord, Christ as Lord, say that, Christ as Lord, okay, has to start inwardly in your heart before you can take it outwardly to the world. Follow me here. The only way you will be able to stand publicly is if you kneel before Jesus privately. If you got it, say you got it. A good example of this is Daniel. Daniel stood before Nebuchadnezzar with great boldness. And you know why he could do that? Because in Daniel chapter 1, friends, it says Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. It all needs to begin there. You sanctify, in other words, set apart Jesus Christ as Lord in your heart. In other words, it's being committed to his lordship. Which means, okay, we're not concerning ourselves with what, listen now, what people think, what culture thinks, or what the world thinks, okay? It's being concerned only about what Jesus thinks. What does he think? It's committing ourselves, listen now, to, a, to living for an audience of one. And you see, we need to turn our lives over to him and allow him to be king, king. Okay, we need to live a lifestyle that proclaims not my will be done, Lord, but, but your will be done. We must make him Lord of our lives, Lord, listen now, of our families, Lord of our relationships, Lord of our gifts and our talents and our abilities and our time and our finances, Lord of our bodies, Lord of everything. Amen? That's what Peter's driving at when he says, but in your heart set apart Christ as Lord. Do you get that? How about verse 15b? Always, after he says that, after you establish that, guess what? Always, say always, be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Literal in the Greek, 
Okay, it, it says this, always be ready to present a verbal defense, a verbal defense to everyone who asks you for a logical explanation concerning your hope. Look at the text again. It says to give an answer. Say answer. Come on, say answer. The word translate answer comes from the Greek word apologia. Apologia, which we get the English word apology. So is Peter telling us and saying that we should apologize for what we believe? Nope, he's not saying that. Okay, follow me here. An apologia was a legal defense given in a courtroom. Okay, in other words, you should know what you believe and why you believe it, and you should be ready and willing and able to explain it to someone else. And we get the modern term apologetics. Okay, to make a defense, to make an explanation. And friends, follow me now here. If we're going to give a logical explanation for our hope, it must come out of the, here we go, the scriptures. The word. Say the word. Scriptures. In Acts. Remember Acts? We did Acts for almost a year and two or three months, right? Acts chapter 8, verses 26 through 40. Philip, remember him? Remember him, the first martyr? Philip? Okay, met the, the Ethiopian eunuch there, right? Remember that, friends, in the desert? And he was able to explain to that Ethiopian eunuch the meaning of Isaiah 53, which the Ethiopian was reading. In Acts chapter 2, verses 14 through 41, Peter, Peter preached the gospel to thousands of people, three, and 3,000 that day got saved. Peter knew the Old Testament and was able to explain that Jesus was the Messiah. In Acts chapter 7, Okay, in Acts chapter 7, Stephen explained the history of the nation and the coming of the Messiah. Actually, he was the first martyr, not Philip. Stephen explained the history of the nation and the coming of the Messiah to the council of the Jews. The apostle, Paul's ministry, was all about that. Okay, he was constantly, remember Paul? He was constantly appearing before kings and governors, before Jews and Gentiles, explaining that Jesus was the Messiah. So this is why we need to spend time, say time, come on, time in the Word of God so that, we'll be, that we will understand the basis for our living hope. we got to be in the Word, friends. we got to read the Word daily, amen? And what Peter's doing, Peter's urging us to be ready at any time, to be ready to speak up, to share our hope, to tell anyone who asks us, because listen now, if we are really, really, really living the Christian life, if we are, Someone is going to ask us, why are you living the way you are? Why are you so different? You see, the greatest tool other than the Word of God that we can use to get people saved is our testimony. However, the greatest deterrent in keeping people from coming to Jesus is often our testimony. Why? Because often the things that we say and do don't line up with how a Christian should live. And that testimony does more damage than anything else. So it's not just quoting God's word, okay? Not just knowing and quoting God's word, but it's living his word out in our lives. That they see the living word of God living out in our lives. You're still with me saying amen. And perhaps some of you, I think, perhaps some of you are you know, thinking, well, you know, I just can't share the gospel. I don't know all the scriptures. I don't know the word of God like the back of my hand. You know, I'm not good at retaining the word of God. And what if someone ties me all up in, in a knot with some philosophical problem that I can't answer, okay? I mean, to have the hope, I get that, Pastor, to have the hope, but to share the hope, I don't know if I can do that. 
And let me tell you the beauty of sharing your hope. And I, I've, I've shared this hundreds of times as being your pastor, okay? This is the beauty of sharing your hope. It's your hope. Say, it's my hope, okay? It's your hope, okay? It's your story. It's your testimony. And no one can share your story better than you. Amen? It's your story, okay? It's not just saying what I believe, but this is why I believe. Listen, Peter didn't say, I don't want you to, Peter didn't say, quote, 25 scriptures. He didn't say, do a worship song and collect an offering. He didn't say that, okay? He just said, hey, give the reason for the hope you have, okay? Hey, it's your hope. Give the reason for the hope you have. Be ready to share it and use scripture to support it, okay? And so when people tell you, you know, man, when people tell you, man, you never look stressed out. You look so happy. You're always joyful. You know, you always seem to have this incredible peace in your life. You're so easy to work with. You always have a great attitude. There's just something about you. What's your secret? When that happens, be ready to give the reason for your hope. That's an open door right there to share the gospel. And when that open door happens, friend, when you have that God moment with that lost person, friends, you say, well, I'll tell you why. I'll tell you what's different about me. I'll tell you why. Because Jesus saved me and Jesus forgave me and he meets my needs and Jesus will never leave me. He'll never forsake me. And Jesus helps me and strengthens me to deal with life's issues. He has brought purpose in my life. He's brought meaning into my life. He has given me not just the abundant life, but guess what? He's given me eternal life. That's why I'm different. That's why you see something different in my life. You share your hope, amen? Say live differently. Say be ready. So when that happens, I don't know, but when that happens, it could happen this week, it could happen today, I don't know. When, when, when God creates that moment, someone comes along your path and you know it's a God thing, be ready. Be ready. Amen? When someone tells you, man, why are you so happy? You tell them, right? Okay? And you're so, you're so awesome. What's going on? What, what's, what's going on with you? You tell them what's going on. Amen? And number three, number three, here we go, is testify. Testify gently and respectfully. Okay? Testify gently and and respectfully, look at verse 15, see, but do this, do what? Do, do what? Okay, testify, witness, share your hope. Do this with gentleness and what? Respect. Peter's saying when, when, when you share your hope, listen now, when you share your hope, don't be pushy. Huh? Don't, don't be pushy, okay? Don't be, listen now, get this down, don't be overly spiritual. Okay, like you walk on water. Okay, don't be like that. Okay, be gentle and respectful, be courteous. That's what Peter's saying. L listen, you, you can't scream nor argue or force feed someone to Jesus. You can't. You can't do that, friends. But you can love them to Jesus. You can love them to Jesus, and you do that with gentleness and respect. Amen? Now, I, I got to say this. The, the problem with, with, with some Christians is that they have this know-it-all, self-righteous, Scripture, all know it's Scripture attitude. And friends, with that kind of attitude, you're not promoting Jesus, you're promoting yourself. And if you're, you're, you're into promoting yourself, how in the world are you going to promote Jesus? 
If you are so self-assured, how are you going to be God-assured? Are you guys with me? And remember, and you guys heard this before, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. People respond to gentleness. They respond to those who show a sense of respect. So, so we need to see that they, the lost, are valuable and savable. Hey, when you look at a lost person, a family member, a coworker, someone that you know is lost, look at them and say, you know what? They're valuable and they're savable. Yeah? Okay, now write this down. Colossians, Colossians 4, verses 5 through 6. Colossians 4, 5 through 6. Conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders. See, outsiders. That's the lost. Okay? So notice what he he writes, Paul writes, conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. Ah, did you get that? Hmm? Then he says this, let your speech always be with grace, seasoned as it were with salt, so that you may know how you should respond to each person. Got it? Gentleness and grace. Okay? Making the most of the opportunity. Now I want to say this. And please get this. Responding with gentleness and respect doesn't mean that you and I, as Christians, water down the gospel. Okay? You tell the truth. Okay? And you tell it, but you tell it in love. But don't water down the gospel. Okay? I don't want to offend them. Hey, it's offensive to me that you don't want to share the true gospel. Okay? So I want you to make sure you're clear with that, right? Okay? Responding with gentleness and respect doesn't mean that we water down the gospel. Now, now listen. Testifying and witnessing to someone is not about winning an argument. How many times have I seen believers trying to win an argument? Okay, you, you can win a lot of arguments and lose a lot of people. The goal is not winning the argument. The goal, friends, is winning and saving the soul. That's the goal. And that's where gentleness and respect comes in, okay? That's where you listen to them. Just listen to them. Spend time with them if you can. You're concerned about the the details of their journey and the the details of their struggles. Just, Just stop and listen to them. If you have the opportunity to witness somebody and they just start talking, just just listen to them. Let them tell you their story, where they're coming from, what they believe in, what they don't believe in. Get to know them. Amen? And then after they're done, then, then, then share the gospel. Two things about your testimony. First of all is do you have one? Do you have one? Are you saved? Are you born again? Do you have one? The second thing is this. Do you use the one you have? Are are you telling people about your salvation? Are you telling people about Jesus? Now, i got to tell you something that that I I do when I feel God prompt me to do it. Whenever my wife and I or people that I'm with are at a restaurant, and I feel God prompt me. It's got to be a God thing, okay? And we're at a restaurant, and and a waiter or waitress comes, and and I say, what's your name? They tell me their name. I tell them, my name is Arnold. This is my wife, Jacinda, and those who are around us. I introduce them to them. I say, we're going to pray for our meal right now. 
We're going to pray, so what can we pray for you for? And just one time, one time, someone said, I don't want you to pray for me. And she was like, I don't want you to pray for me. And so just, I'm like, okay, whatever. You know, but now I know what to pray for, right? Now I know what to pray for, right? So as she walked away, we prayed for her, you know? Right, right? But it's a, it's a great opportunity for you to share the gospel. And I, I, I wish I could be here all day to tell you the responses that we get from people. The responses. In fact, we, we, we prayed for Gail at Mexico Lindo about, a, about uh, seven, eight months ago. And then we were there just recently, and we, we remembered her, and she, she, she saved the receipt and wrote that we were praying for her. How incredible is that? Her name was Kelly, right? Yeah, her first, her first receipt. Yeah, so that was awesome, amen? So again, I don't know, you might want to try that, but that's a good way to open up the doors of opportunity to share the gospel. Real quick here, three things to overcome the fear in witnessing, okay? Three things to overcome the fear in witnessing, okay? If you're ready, say yes. Here we go. Trust in the sovereignty of God. Trust in the sovereignty of God. God is going to place people in your path for you to share the gospel. He's going to do it. Say he's going to do it, okay? Those are what I call God moments, okay? But you got to listen. This is why you got to be sensitive to God's spirit. To know, is this a God thing or not? Don't, don't try to force it, friends. Okay, don't try to force it. So, Trust in the sovereignty of God. It could be today, tomorrow, next week, I don't know. But God's going to send some people in your life, down your path, so you can share the gospel. You'll know, you'll know if it's God's sovereignty or it's just you. Right? So trust in the sovereignty of God. The second thing is this, trust in the strength of God. Don't try to witness in your own strength. Witness in His strength. Okay? And by the way, when, you're, when, you, when you got that God moment and you're witnessing that person, or either you're talking to them or they're talking to you, and you're just quietly say, Lord, Lord, give me the strength that I need from you to witness effectively to this person. Amen? Trust in the sovereignty of God. Trust in the strength of God. Here we go. Trust in the Spirit of God. Trust in the Spirit of God. Acts 1.8. You guys know this, right? Acts 1.8, right? But you will receive power. Say power. Oh, say like, yeah, power. Gosh. Say Power. When the Holy Spirit comes on you, say, Holy Spirit, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will give you the boldness to share your faith. Boldness. I understand it's scary at times, right? Right? It's scary at times to share your faith. But that's when you say, you know what? If this is a God thing, he's going to provide me with the strength and the boldness. Amen? Amen? So share your faith in the power of the Holy Spirit. Successful witnessing, by the way, is sharing Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit. Listen, in the power of the Holy Spirit and leaving the results to God. Got it? Leave the results to God. Don't try to force it. Just do what you got to do and then step away. If they don't get saved right then, they'll step away. Leave the results to God. Simply what you do is this. You share your story. Share his story, right? Share his story, and then leave the rest of the story to God. Share my story, share God's story, what he did in my life, and leave the rest of the story to God. Let God work on that person's heart. Yeah? If you're saved, say amen. If you said amen, then I 
as your pastor, I, I, I want you to, to follow these wonderful principles that we learned today in the scripture to, to live differently. Friends, I got to tell you, we, we got to be different. We, we shouldn't resemble the world. We should be different. Separate. Okay? Be ready. When that time comes, be ready to give a reason for your hope. And then testify, witness, share your hope gently and respectfully. Amen? Win someone to Jesus. Let's all stand. Father, we thank you for your